He's Greg. I'm Nick. You know the deal. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. Let's start with Gerard Mayo, Greg, because uh, on this podcast and at BSJ, you have written and you've spoken about Gerard rubbing some people in the facility the wrong way. Mayo had a chance to finally respond to your report yesterday with the media. What were your thoughts? Okay. Um, first of all, while I look for the comments, because I saw that Andrew Callahan um, transcribed them all. Good job by him. Um, let me just uh, let me just you know tell people sort of, um, and and I'm not sure if I've explained this. Uh, because, uh, you know, one of the things that Gerard says, um, and let's go over some of his comments, some of his, um, he said, honestly, when that report came out, you know, my brother sent it to me, it was more hurtful than anything. I found it to be, well, the timing is a little bit weird in my opinion. And if that, and if that was the case, I feel this would have been leaked somewhere sometime earlier. Um, he said at the same time, I try to cheat in everyone the same way. I will say this, I've thought about it for a while when people talk about rubbing people the wrong way. Like, obviously, sometimes, I mean, that's part of the job of being a leader to rub people the wrong way. Um, you know, if there's any change or anything like that, it's going to be painful. If someone, if someone's going to rub you the wrong way, at the end of the day, you have to look at it through all the words and really get to the substance, get to the meat, meat of the potatoes. I know it's recent. I think it's like a week old at this point, but it triggered an opportunity for self-reflection. We all have blind spots, and maybe that's one of my blind spots. But, you know, at the end of the day, hopefully whoever put out that, put that story out is man or woman enough to bring it to my attention to, to have a conversation. Um, so that's sort of the, the, the crux of it. Um, he went on, he was asked about it sort of um, twice and went on at length. Um, First of all, to talk about uh, just the genesis of the story. And, you know, I know Gerard said he questioned sort of the timing of it. To me, as a reporter, the timing is logical. Um, right. You know, he, he wonders, and, and certainly I, I want your uh, opinion on this, Nick, as sort of an independent observer and a member of the media. But to me, the genesis of the story was, look, at a certain point in this season, it progressed to the point, including by certain uh, certain reports by Tommy Curran and others, that this was progressing, that Belichick and the Patriots were going to part ways at the end of the season. Um, you know, so to me, when that happens, um, you know, it, it, it's Gerard Mayo is viewed differently. OK, he is viewed as a possible successor to Bill Belichick as the possible next head coach of the Patriots in August and September, uh, Gerard is an assistant coach. He's not even a defensive coordinator. He's not calling defensive plays. And so, um, you know, I, it, quite frankly, Gerard Mayo wasn't even really on my radar all that much. I know we talked about, he got the contract extension, um, craft as I reported, uh, used the used the phrase heir apparent um, with Mayo at the league meetings last year, um, and so. But once it got to this season, once it got past the Colts game, and there were reports, Gerard Mayo is now a different person to me, or he should be. 
you know, whereas, you know, we, he has the ability, he has the potential to be the next head coach of the New England Patriots. Like he, it's, it's time to start vetting him. It's time to start calling around, getting opinions, asking people, you know, and really this, this is just the course of, you know, in the reporting of what's next for the Patriots, what's going to happen with Belichick and what's next. And so, you know, I'm talking to as many people as possible inside the building, outside the building, league sources, all this stuff to find out the answers to all those questions. And so obviously I'm going to ask about Gerard and all I knew about Gerard, you know, really coming into this was my sort of history with him, which I have, there's, there's nothing in our history other than I have a great deal of respect for him. I thought he was a hell of a player. I knew that, you know, you're talking about defensive rookie of the year when he came out. He was a middle linebacker almost immediately for the Patriots, uh, was smart as hell, was teaching people the defense as a rookie. Um, obviously, a leader, a spiritual leader of the team, um, you know, went into business right after his playing days, then came back to coaching. Um, and, you know, by all accounts, you know, A's across the board in terms of everything talked about as a future head coach somewhere, possibly here. Um, but, you know, once it became apparent or at least likely that Belichick would part ways with the Patriots or vice versa at the end of the season. Now Gerard has looked at differently. It's time to go under the microscope. Everybody goes under the microscope. It's not personal. It's not about Gerard. You know, I, I've already looked at Bill Belichick. I'm going to look at Mike Vrabel. I'm going to look at Brian Flores. I'm going to look at Bill O'Brien. You know, all of these as, as we get towards the end of the season and the transition period for the Patriots. So in terms of the timing, I don't think it's weird at all because, you know, like I said, he's under the microscope now. Um, and so it's it's his turn to be in the spotlight. Um, nobody's perfect. There are going to be uh, flaws in every possible candidate for the New England Patriots. And, you know, it was sort of his turn. And I'll just say, I know other reporters know the information that I've reported, and including, you know, I, I haven't re reported like everything to the full tilt because I didn't think it was, you know, some of it was fair to Gerard um, or or I don't think it was it was um, the right thing to do as far as reporting and, and making sure you have certain things, you know, correct and, and things that you know of. You know, I will state unequivocally, I 100 percent stand behind my report, um, my subsequent reporting, um, which has been a little bit um, harder. But just dealing with his comment about the timing, to me, I think it's perfect timing because he is now under the microscope if he intends to be the successor to Bill Belichick. Yeah. So a lot of stuff that's out there, you know, doesn't get thrown out there unsolicited, right? Like usually there's a reason why reporters are digging into something to see if there's a story there. And uh, look, I, I think it's just obvious. You know, Belichick might be on his way out. There's a guy in the building that might be the successor. You ask questions to people that have worked with that guy who could be the successor. Do you like him? Do you not like him? How do you feel about him? Has he changed at all? I, I just think that's a natural situation. I do think, you know, as as far as the way Mayo handled the questioning yesterday, Greg, I don't know if you agree. I, I would think you do. But I thought it really did draw a line. You know, that contrast between who Mayo is and who Belichick is. And a lot of people want to group Mayo with Belichick because he played for him. He's coached for him. 
But I thought that answer in a number of different ways did show you the stark contrast between those two individuals and how they would handle a situation like this and what that might tell you what Mayo would be like as a head coach. A hundred percent. I a hundred percent agree with you. And I also will say upon, you know, further reflection and, and listening to his comments a little bit more, I will say that I think, I think the comments are a double-edged sword and sort of show you how Gerard Mayo can be viewed differently by different people. And let me explain. First of all, I do agree with you. I think that, look, let's just say if Bill Belichick got this question and he gets these kind of questions every week about this report or that report and what's Bill said, what's Bill say? Uh, is that one of those reports from one of those anonymous sources? You'll have to yeah. ask one of those uh, anonymous sources. Like, and he'll just get rid of it or I'm focused on the Jets, you know, this. He's not going to entertain it. Um, and I do think over the long haul, you know, there, there's definitely extremes. There's a middle ground. But, you know, as a head coach of, of football, you can't answer every single report that's out there. And if you're the head coach of an NFL team, there are going to be a lot of reports that aren't kind to you and you can't just respond to every one of them. I now I do think it was important and definitely uh, I expected Gerard to answer this, but I will say, I to, I agree with your point that if, if uh, people were afraid and, and look, Gerard knows what he's doing. Like I said, he's extremely smart. Um, some people will call him calculating. Some people will call him political. I also think he has an excellent agent in Sean Kiernan from athletes first. I think that, uh, they knew this was coming. They knew the question was coming at some point. And, and I'm sure there was a discussion about how he was going to answer it. And if you were Gerard Mayo and wanted to be the successor to Bill Belichick, but differentiate yourself from Bill Belichick, a guy you played, like you said, played for assistant coach the only place he's ever been in the nfl is one patriot place and for a lot of people uh joe judge matt patricia josh mcdaniels go through the whole list of guys who only stayed at one patriot place and then ventured out and was a head coach on their own it didn't go well for them because they tried to be some of them at least tried to be bill belichick gerard with his answer uh, whether it was natural or what have you, uh, definitely set a course that said, I'm not Bill Jr. Like some people uh, basically nicknamed him during his playing days here, that he was Bill Jr., that they they thought the same way, that, that they were both that smart. And so uh, Gerard's answer, just answering it, how expansive he was, how he talked about his feelings, how he talked to how he reflected how, you know, he, he, maybe he does come off uh, not well to others. I mean, you couldn't get a bigger departure from Bill Belichick. So I think that served him well. However, Nick, I will say, and I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on this. You know, like I said, what I've reported is real. People can pretend that it's not. Um, they, they, you know, they can say whatever they want to say. I don't really care. Um, you know, I know it's real. Um, from the, the, the multiple different people that I've talked about that both, both before and after my initial report, um, this response also sheds light on people who maybe, uh, Mayo rubs the wrong way. I think in some corners of that building, the way Mayo handled this question would rub people the wrong way, even, 
you know, Bill Belichick or people who are aligned with him, you know, in this way. The Patriots, more than any other probably NFL team I've ever been around, there is a uh, there is a structure. Um, there is a uh, what's the term? I just had it in my head about, you know, it's related to Army a chain of command. Yep. There is a chain of command with the New England Patriots that, you know, it is Bill Belichick talks about all things football and you take your lead from Bill Belichick. And when you get answers or when you get questions that Bill would get, you know, that most of the people there would answer them similar to Bill, maybe a little bit nicer, but similar to Bill, basically like not not give reports air. And so for Gerard Mayo to go to go on at length about a report, I could see it bothering some people in the building and some of those people saying like, all right, well, at the end of the day, who's Gerard serving answering the question this way? Is it serving Bill Belichick, who you're supposed to be serving, that you're supposed to be in service of the head coach? Um, you know, or are you serving yourself? And, you know, to me, I don't know how you feel about it, Nick, but I, I think that if you're looking at it that way, that the Patriots have a chain of command and a, and a strict structure to their football organization, um, you could make the case that this was a self-serving answer for Gerard Mayo. Now, I don't disagree with it. I love it. I'm glad he answered it as a media member, and I ain't going to complain. But I'm just telling – I'm trying to shed light on, you know, how – how a report like mine can come to light, how, how people can tell me these things, I would say that this answer um, could show you how it could be viewed differently in different areas of that building. If it is viewed that way, then I think it speaks volumes of Belichick, how he handles his operation. And I would also say that if that ruffled feathers and you happen to be somebody who believes Belichick will acquiesce in any way, for 2024 to stay. Well, if that's how he felt about Mayo's comments, he ain't changing. And I'm one of those people that do not expect Belichick to change. I do not expect Belichick to walk into Kraft's office next week and say, all right, give the power to somebody else. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy coaching. You know me, Bill Belichick, the guy who just lays back and loves to just coach and not worry about anything else. You know, I go back to years ago, I have a friend and this friend told me because Try to follow this. My <laughs> friend had a friend who, who worked there and w with the Patriots. And I learned years ago that Belichick knows everything in that building. Mm -hmm. And it, it, I mean, we're talking about the nutritional staff. We're talking about the custodians where he knows everything. He knows who picks up the garbage at night. He know, so he is very aware of everything with, with his surroundings and how he wants these things handled. And there's been stories out there, how he speaks to the team to make sure that he'll bring the employees at the facility in front of the group. And there'll be this whole, like, you know, thank you kind of thing and ingratiate the team with the guys that, and women that work behind the scenes. So he's all aware. And he, he loves to have a hand in pretty much everything. That's why I don't think he's ever going to be willing to step back here in new England because he's built this thing the way he wants it. And that just goes into what you just said, Greg, like it, if, if he looks at the comments by Mayo, he's like, you know, Gerard's not with the program. He's, he's not sticking to the program. Okay. Now let's, let's look at this in a different way. 
if you bring an outside president of football operations, or even if somebody Bill knows, and they have a press conference, that GM is going to say what they want to say, and they should say what they want to say without you know, thinking of, oh, the head coach might not like this. Bill, Bill might not like this. this. This might cause some friction. So I think Kraft, Greg, I don't know about you, but if I'm Kraft and Belichick looks at those comments and feels that way, to me, that's even further reasoning why I can't have this guy in the building with a different power structure. Yeah, I would I, I would agree with that, Nick. And I would also say that, um, look, um, I don't blame, like I said, I don't blame Gerard Mayo for answering the question the way that he did. And I think he knew full well that this was um, this was sort of a job interview, that the crafts are listening, that they're listening to that and that, you know, this would uh, appeal to them. Um, but, you know, I also think that uh, that, you know, this this. It, it can, you know, that's what, if I was Gerard, that's all I would be focused on. Uh, like, look, you know, pretty much the chances are, is that Belichick's done here. And, and I do think that, I do think Gerard is very, um, and this goes to also um, pointing out how he can quote rub people the wrong way. Um, I do think he's been singularly focused on being a head coach in the national football league. You know, I'd point to you that there was a, there was a uh, he interviewed. I think I think I look back. I think this was in 2020. This is when Gerard Mayo was in his second year as an assistant coach and the Houston Chronicle. Aaron Wilson was there at the time, did a humongous takeout on Gerard Mayo as a possible next head coach, which I just looked at. I was like, what? This guy's in his second year as an assistant coach. And uh, I, I just know. Let me you know, I, I know that. uh well, I'll just leave that aside because um, you're always thinking about how you're going to get aggregated. But let's just say that <laughs> Gerard Mayo has been um, he's been singularly focused on being a head coach. He is aspirational, um, you know, and I think this his answer to this question, which um, I thought was great, I certainly entitled. I don't have a problem with it. Um, he uh, I, I do think it was. That's what he had in mind, that if it wasn't just the crafts he was speaking to, he was also speaking to other NFL teams that might have head coaching opportunities. One more thing about this. God forbid somebody has ambition. Not worried about Gerard Mayo being focused on being a head coach one day. If that's the dude's goal, then that's his goal. And he should be focused on that. That's number one. Number two, at this point, when you're coaching a team that has four wins with one game left, you should be concerned about yourself. You should be focused on number one and you should be lining up your next gig just in case you get fired like that. That's the way this world works. No matter if you're in journalism, football, whatever you do for a living, he's in a situation where this whole thing could get turned over. So yeah, if I have an opportunity to answer a question that puts me in a great light, that might help me take that next step in my career, especially with the circumstances he's dealing with, I don't have a problem with it at all. Finally, I'd say this. There's absolutely Nick, just, just just real, real quick. But um, before you make your last point, I just want to say you are 100 um, percent in the real world. You are 100 percent correct. But one Patriot place in Bill Belichick's kingdom, um, that does not go over well. So I, I just wanted to point that fine, out. Fine. Fine. King Belichick's led me to a four and 12 season. Whatever. Uh, here, here's here's what I would <laughs> say. I would also say this. That there is, no matter what the reporting has been, that Greg has shared, others has, have shared, 
Football, I do know, is a results-based business. And if I'm Mayo, here's my response. There's zero indication that any of this has impacted the product. This defense has still played well without Judon, without Gonzalez, and others like Jabril Peppers recently. We are holding up our end of the bargain. I'm coaching. I'm game planning. These guys are prepared to play. We're doing the best we can. So you can say everything you want to say about it, but defensively, we've been much better than that offense. So maybe Bill O'Brien should start rubbing some people the wrong way. Maybe something should change there. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. I love the app. I use it all the time, all over the place. So visit FanDuel.com Boston and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in mass. Hope is here. First online real wager only. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued at non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. All right, let's continue the, the the coaching conversation, Greg, because obviously it's taken over the area now. It'll take over the area, I think, for the next few weeks at least. You had mentioned going back weeks ago, and I remember this vividly. Diana Rossini from The Athletic had come out and said, if you think Mike Vrabel's leaving Tennessee, wipe that from your brain. I read that as the Titans kind of know that Vrabel might, might not be happy. <laughs> And, and Tennessee and ownership is already throwing out there. Hey, he's going to stay here because they want to draw a hard line in negotiations, but whatever you came out roughly the same time. And you said, uh-uh. that is not great down there in Tennessee. Vrabel ain't happy. He could be gone. Very interesting. Now, Greg reporter after reporter after reporter NFL insiders, you know, Mike Lombardi, Jason Lockenfora, Dan Graziano. Uh, there, there's a bunch of people now that are saying, watch out, Vrabel might get traded. Vrabel wants out of Tennessee. I just want your thoughts now, looking back at your report that came out, again, months ago, I think, and how seemingly this story is now getting caught up on and Vrabel might be out of there. Yeah, uh, I initially reported, I looked back the end of November, um, and I doubled down a few weeks ago on it and sort of fleshed out a little bit of the um, Rand Carthon, Mike Vrabel, dynamic and just so people who don't know Rand Carthon is the GM of the Tennessee Titans and um you know from what I understand you know I again I stand firm behind my reporting uh back then and now um you know and this this also goes to the discussion that we're going to have or continuing to have about the Patriots and what they do next and and what you can absolutely not do at the head of your NFL operations is you cannot have a shotgun marriage between the general manager and the head coach. It never, ever works. And 
when the Titans decided to fire John Robinson. And I know a lot of people thought that was a power move by Mike Vrabel. It made him stronger in Tennessee. That's not the way it happened. That was that was made by ownership um, for I don't know what the specific reason was. It could have been A.J. Brown. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. Um, there could have been other issues uh, with John Robinson in that building that I, I'm not aware of. But the bottom line was that was not something that Vrabel uh, maneuvered for to have John Robinson out. I mean, if now you could say that if Vrabel, if Robinson got fired and somebody came in who was very close to Vrabel to run football operation or run uh, run personnel, but that's not what happened. Rand Carthon and Mike Vrabel don't know each other at all. Rand Carthon was with the 49ers. He was one of the top uh, GM candidates last offseason. Um, certainly has the credentials. and um, But the ownership of the Titans, uh, Amy Strunk Adams, put er, Amy Adams Strunk, uh, put together Vrabel and ran. I'm sure Vrabel was in on the interviews or something like that. But the bottom line, the owner decides on that. And, you know, you have to have alignment between your head coach and your general manager or else they're going to butt heads at some point. They're not going to see things the same way. And I, I just don't think I, I know from, uh, you know, talking to people around the situation, talking to people of Rabel, he is not happy with the situation there. And does that mean he's looking to get out? I don't know. Does that mean that the Titans need to do something to I know they love Vrabel. They want Vrabel there. But if Vrabel sees a no-win situation with the GM, he ain't going to stay there. And, you know, he can make a power move, you know, possibly to New England, possibly to some other place. But there's no question in my mind that the, if the Tennessee Titans don't do anything, then Mike Vrabel could be available to any team in the NFL. Do you mean that as far as Carthan? Like, would he want him out? I, I don't think that can be ruled out. Now, that would be a terrible look for the Titans that they uh, hire one of the top minority candidates in the league and then let him go after, you know, only a year when some people believe that the league office had some influence uh, over the Titans going in that direction. Now, I don't know if that's true, but a lot of people in the NFL believe that. Um, I think they're between a rock and a hard place. And I'm not saying that Rand's not qualified. He, 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 he is. Um, but, you know, if you're, if you're going to go, if you're going to hire somebody like Rand Carthon and you're going to tell him to run personnel, let him go pick the head coach. And it's just like, you know, what we're going to discuss right. with the Patriots, that if, if, you're, if you either have to decide whether you're going to have a strong head coach or a strong GM. The strong head coach, tell him to pick the personnel guy. Strong GM, let him pick the head coach. That way you have alignment. They're bought in together. There's a marriage there. It's not a shotgun. It's a real marriage that they have to make it work or else you're asking for disaster along the lines that the Titans have had this year. And you're also inviting Carthon, if, if he is let go after a year, to drop the hammer on you in some way. And I'm sure there mm -hmm. would be leaks and there'd be stories. I do want to ask you one more question about this, though. It would seem to me, maybe I'm totally off base, it would seem to me that Mike Vrabel, Mike Vrabel's agent, people around Vrabel are pushing the narrative that he could be available. It's the only thing that makes sense to me. Ten Tennessee mm -hmm. wouldn't be pushing this. Again, I think Tennessee you know, spoke with Rossini at the same time that you were writing this about Vrabel roughly to get it out there. So teams, if they are interested, 
hey, you got to pony up because we're not giving this guy away. Do you think Vrabel slash Vrabel's side is pushing this, Greg, because he's just unhappy in Tennessee or, and maybe it could be both, he has something lined up already or at least he is significantly interested in a job that could be out there. Let's say Ohio State gets rid of Ryan Day. Let's say Belichick leaves New England. Is he kind of looking at this saying, ducks in a row, I could get out of here, I could go to New England and work for a guy that I trust entirely in Robert Kraft? My my personal opinion, um, you know, somewhat informed, but, you know, I'm a talk to Mike or anybody like that. So I, I, I'm just reading the tea leaves and also, you know, what I know and, and dealing with these situations previously in the NFL. To me, this looks like Mike Vrabel. And, and somebody told me that his, his kids are older now, so he's not married to the Nashville area anymore. I, and he's been there six years now, um, done a lot of good. This is on the other side. He's nowhere with the quarterback position. I think that Mike Vrabel looks at this, especially after the uh, the move to Rand Carthon last year. I think that Mike Vrabel is looking for a change of scenery, a new situation, and that's what he's angling for. Does that happen at the end of the day? I can't tell you. A lot of different things could happen. They could throw the bag at Mike Vrabel. Um, they could they could do realign the personnel department how he wants it. Anything could happen. But I think that either way. Mike Vrabel's trying to win and it's either he wins by leaving and finding a new situation. And and we all heard about how he talked about the Patriots when he was here for his hall of fame induction. And there was even more going on behind the scenes in regards to that, or his situation with the Titans and his power is improved to where that's where he wants to be. And let's not forget, there's been a recent report that uh, Kraft is doing exactly what you said he should be doing if he's getting ready to move on from Belichick, which is he's talking to a lot of people. And Mm -hmm. he's only going to talk to people who he trusts. And you just have to imagine that Vrabel and Kraft know some of the same people. (laughs) So it's easy easy to connect the dots. Kraft is doing some legwork on Belichick, and where could we go if we move on from Bill? it's easy to connect the dots and say Vrabel could absolutely be a part of that conversation, if not a significant part of that conversation. One more question before we get to the Buffalo Bills game and some stuff that you saw. And also, you know, if we can get to it today, Belichick's future, which I hope we can. Josina Anderson over the last 36 hours or so, two days or so, um, she's the latest to throw out the Chargers with Belichick. Uh, Mm. Gary Myers threw out the Chargers with Belichick. I believe Graziano also threw out the Chargers with Belichick. This this Chargers Bill Belichick thing's not going away. The Athletic also wrote over the weekend about Belichick being on the list and that the Chargers are looking to maybe spend more money than you, than they usually do and looking to hire somebody that has a larger profile than they usually go with. Just kind of your thoughts on this idea, you know, if if Belichick is, you know, Again, these conversations, I'm sure, have been happening behind closed doors with with some people, if not many people. Mm-hmm. Is this thing kind of lining up where we might know where this is going? I mean, it, it, is it a possibility that Vrabel knows Bill's out, Kraft knows Bill's out, Kraft knows Vrabel wants out, Vrabel's going to get out, Bill's getting out, and Bill's going to L.A.? I mean, because there is – I don't want to go too deep here and put the tinfoil c- cap on or anything – 
But it does kind of feel like, Greg, over the last couple of weeks, the smoke is building. And this all could just be one giant kind of domino game that that just everybody pretty much knows. Nobody's going to say it. But then when the season ends, boom, it all happens. Nick, you beautiful, beautiful son of a bitch. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All I'm all I'm missing is that meme from I think it it was it's always sunny in Philadelphia with the the, the strings and the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things like that's you. That's you. Um, Look, I you know, I I don't put anything past these people. Um, You know, uh, I really don't. I mean, you know, Belichick to the Chargers, you know, could I see it? Yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, he knows the quarterback is there. It's more of a veteran roster. They got a lot of decisions to make, a lot of salary cap stuff. I just don't think, like Tom Brady, I don't think Bill Belichick is going to have the biggest market, um, especially in terms of, you know, if he wants power. Um, You know, I think that a lot of people think that the Panthers will get Ben Johnson We'll pay the freight for Ben Johnson. Yep. I think people think that Jim Harbaugh is going to go to the Raiders, um, depending on what happens with Antonio Pierce and Champ Kelly. Uh, that's Mark Davis has been after J- Jim Harbaugh has been his white whale for a long time. Um, and I think the stars have aligned that that's going to line up. Um, Washington, it's not really the owner's MO to go with, um, you know, a big, you know, figurehead and all powerful being that's not the way he's dealt with the 76ers or the devils, the other teams that he owns. Um, I don't, Dallas is not going to make a change. Everybody loves to talk about it. They're not going to. Dak's playing the best ball of his career. Yeah. Mike McCarthy's a moron sometimes, but you know, if you're the owners, are you really going to change Dak Prescott's playing the best ball of his career? Are you going to bring in somebody else, another offensive coordinator for Dak? No, you're going to figure out a way to make it work with McCarthy. So I don't, I don't think the chances are very good there. Atlanta's going to be open. I could see Brad Blank, uh, uh, Brad Blank, Arthur Blank. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a Freudian slip. Yeah, he'll be very excited about that mention. Um, <laughs> Hi, for Brad. those of you who don't know, Brad Blank is a guy who 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 he's a he's an NFL agent, but he also represents a lot of uh, media people, and and I've certainly uh, interacted with him and consulted with him in the past um, <laughs> and currently. Um, but Arthur blank, could he be sick of he's 82 years old too. Could he be sick of this crap and just say, I'm just bringing in Belichick. I could definitely see that. And I could see him giving bill his own autonomy. And like they have their, I think bill would love the shit out of flowery branch. Like it's off by itself. It has its own apartments. It's like Xanadu for like, football. (laughs) um, talk about Shangri-La. So, you know, now that that popped into my head, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I could see it work, but you know, do I think that, do I think there's, there's maneuvers going on behind the scenes to sort of line things up held to the yes. Do I know what it's going to look like at the end of the day? Held to the no. It'd be fascinating. It would be fascinating. Uh, two quick comments, uh, way to throw the football on second down the other night, Mike, you continue to stink as a coach in my, oh my God, that was horrendous. Guys, that was awful, awful. Clock management. He stinks. Um, and also I wonder, I don't know if you would say yes or no to this, Greg, but I do wonder if David Tepper and the incident over the weekend 
could that make some people hesitant? You know, like if you're Ben Johnson and you already know, like this guy has been changing his mind all the time and coach in coach out. And now you get this kind of volatility and you wonder like, do I really want to be dealing with that? If I'm somebody like Ben Johnson, because it seems like Ben can go anywhere he wants. All right, let's get to the, uh, let's get to the bills game. You did not like bill Belichick's post game press conference. And the fact that he brought up turnovers, tell us why. So uh, to to uh, keep it succinct, um, Belichick talks about turnovers like there's some like, you know, it's just the the problem of one player, you know, be it Mac Jones or Bailey Zappi. Like he tries to scapegoat it like, you know, and, and the fans glob onto this. They're like, oh, well, if Bill just got good play from the quarterback. If he didn't if we didn't turn the ball over, first of all, there's some fallacy in that, you know, looking back. You know what the, you know, yes, the Patriots are not good in plus minus this year. You know, the biggest reason for that, Nick, it's not the offense. It's the defense. The previous two years, the Patriots had 30 takeaways each season, including, you know, how many, how many touchdowns did they have last year? I think Kyle Duggar had like three or four by himself. I think they had seven return touchdowns on defense, which, which really improved things. So they they went from 30 the previous two years to they have 17 this year. That's minus 13. That's the biggest reason why they're a negative in takeaways. You know, um, you know the Bills and the Chiefs are both right around the Patriots. One's below, one's above in terms of the Patriots in terms of giveaways. Like, it's not – turnovers are not the affliction that have killed the Patriots, even though, you know, they're certainly – They've certainly hurt the Patriots, but the, the the issue that I have is, like I said, Bill looks at this like, uh, and, and fans glob onto it that it's like, oh well, Mac Jones sucks, and it's Bill O'Brien and these guys. Like this is the reason why the season. No turnovers just don't happen in a vacuum. Like they're not just because of one player. They are symptomatic of the offense and about how hard you make it for the quarterback. The harder you make it in terms of protection, running game weapons the more turnovers you're going to have look at josh allen look at patrick mahomes those guys have been turnover machines this year why their lines stink they have no running game you know mahomes does when pacheco's out there but he's been hurt a lot because he's a little dude go ruckers terrible receivers would you <laughs> go ruckers <laughs> and, um I but, uh, stop yourself as soon as you said pacheco you're thinking rucker oh well, hold on exactly the run I, game when, when ruckers is in there I know I was having flashbacks in, in the great pinstripe bowl triumph. Um, but like, you know, it's Bill looks at it and this is the way he's always looked at it. And this is the crux of his problem with offense that he's just like, uh, if we just, you know, play defense as special teams, it's just don't turn the ball over. Like, you know, we'll, we'll be fine because we'll coach our way out of it. And he just thinks it's just going to happen. Like, it's just like, it's that, that's just the formula when, the formula has only worked when he had a unicorn in Tom Brady at quarterback. You look back, I went back and I looked at his Cleveland days. His quarterbacks threw 20 interceptions a year, you know, because he makes it hard. He never makes it easy on the offense. And when you do that, the turnover rate, the chances of a turnover increase dramatically. The less you have on offense, that's going to happen. So for Bill to sit there and say it's the turnovers and, you know, when we, when we didn't turn the ball over, we were competitive. You're at fault for the reason why there are turnovers. It's not Mac Jones. It's not Bailey Zappi. It's not Bill O'Brien. It's you, the way you conducted this team. You give no pass protection, no running game, 
no receiving targets. Guys are going to try to make plays. They're going to the, the the room for the margin for error gets that much smaller. And guess what? The ball's going to get turned over. So uh, I'm sick of hearing about that. And people need to point the finger at Belichick. Say he's the reason for the turnovers, not everybody else. So that's the first thing I have an issue with. Yeah, and, and Zappi's post-game press conference of if the four turnovers didn't happen, who knows what would have happened in this game or whatever the hell he said. Yeah, Bailey, uh, the Titanic would have been a fantastic voyage if it wasn't for the iceberg. <laughs> like The four turnovers happened, bro. They Like, the, it, it happened. You didn't want them to happen, but it happened. It's a part of the game. It's a part of the up-and-down play. That that drove me nuts when he said that. I, and I'm not, again, the caveat, I'm not – defending Mac Jones here, but imagine if Mac Jones said something like that. People, people went bananas about everything Mac said. What Bailey said on Sunday was as bad as anything Mac ever said. Like, <laughs> well, if the four turnovers didn't happen, you know, we, we might've been able to move the ball. Thanks. Speaking of moving the ball, Josh Allen had a tough time doing that uh, against the Patriots defense. Are you ready to say, Greg, that we learned anything about the defense on Sunday? Or do you look at that game and say, man, Josh was just brutal. So, you know, people who listen to pot understand that, like, I don't go into the uh, into the film with any preconceived notion. I might, you know, go in a certain direction. And, you know, some some weeks, a lot of weeks, I look at the offense and the quarterback play because that's been the issue with the offense uh, or been with the the issue with the team. Um, You know, and this week, I certainly wanted to take a closer look at the defense, but I didn't know. I I mean, I. I couldn't tell. I mean, I watched the game just like everybody else. And it's like, okay, you know, some good defense. Allen obviously missed some plays, but, you know, you know, I go into it and, you know, I I take emotion out of it. I just grade each play. And then at the end of the day, wherever that takes me, it takes me. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think, and I have things to back this up, but I thought Josh Allen played one of the worst games I've ever seen him play. This was basically Josh Allen at a, as a as a rookie back when he was terrible, completing only like 52.8% of his passes. Now, I'm not going to say the Patriots had nothing to do with that. They did. They pressured him. They made him move. They got him off his spot. Um, they played some tight coverage. There's no question about that. It's never black and white in football. It's never right. one thing and not the other. It's, it, you know, but I would put it 75, 80% Josh Allen in this game, you know, 25% of the Patriots defense. Um, Josh Allen said after the game to Kimberly Martin, I threw the ball like absolute crap today. Um, according to next gen stats, uh, Josh Allen's completion percentage above or below expectation was minus 15.2. Oof. Uh, only, ta- only Taylor Heineke minus 27.9. He of the 34.2 passer rating on Sunday was worse than Josh Allen in week 17. Uh, the not always reliable pro football focus.com, which Nick listen to this gave Bailey Zappi, the Patriots third best passing grade of the season on Sunday, yeah. despite his three interceptions. So somebody told me, I don't know if this is true. I got to jump in my my podcast, the Nick Cattle Show, if you can check it out on YouTube. Somebody commented in there yesterday to me that Pro Football Focus said that Bailey Zappi did not have a turnover-worthy throw against the Bills. And I'm like, uh, wait a minute. He threw three picks. <laughs> How- and the third one, I definitely split with Jalen Raygor, yeah, yeah, and you could yeah, certainly have issues and, yeah. on the other yeah. ones. But yep. yeah. Um, I gave, I gave him two and a half 
interceptions in the game. I am going to check that because I will say that sometimes in terms of some of those stats, it takes them a while to put it up. Um, um, okay. Because they need to watch the film more closely. So sometimes they don't. Um, let me check that while we're um, looking that, at I just it. Said, Wait a minute. He had no turnover worthy throws when he had turnovers. How's that? How's that work? Oh, uh, no, you are correct. Zero turnover worthy plays. He had two big time throws in that game, but zero turnover worthy plays. Okay. Um, so <laughs> in, in any event, uh, take this with a grain of salt because of where it comes from. But uh, Pro Football Focus gave Allen his second worst passing grade of the season against his his worst was the Jets in week one where where he threw three interceptions. Yeah, he got graded down. I don't know. Is Bailey Zappi's agent paying Pro Football Focus? Like, <laughs> What's the deal? Um, and also, this has been updated since I first published the story, but I put it in at Pro Football Reference. Uh, they have a stat called bad throw percentage, which I think comes from Pro Football Focus. Josh Allen's bad throw percentage. Um, was 25%, his highest of the season. And 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 look, I also grade the film, and I started this very early on, like watching the film, because I was just like, what the hell is wrong with Josh Allen? So I started just like with the Patriots quarterbacks, I do the minus plays. I didn't do the plus plays, but I did the minus plays just because I wanted to see. I had Josh Allen for 13 minus plays in the game. <sighs> wow. uh, to put that in perspective with the Patriots quarterbacks, only Mac Jones – uh, against Buffalo week 16, 2021, and this year week nine against Washington had more minus throws in a game over the last three years for the Patriots. And so, you know, Josh Allen, look, the Patriots had some to do with it, but they didn't really do anything. It wasn't like they did a whole lot of pre-snap, post-snap, you know, fool the guy. He just missed a lot of passes, including the biggest one was the one to Stefan Diggs, where he had him wide open for an 88-yard touchdown pass, and he just missed him. He missed Dalton, Dalton Kincaid on the first third down. Yeah, there was pressure, um, you know, and, you know, Duggar was in the vicinity, but I've seen Josh Allen make that throw a zillion times. He didn't take the checkdowns in this game for whatever reason. Like, he just – he had a bad day at the office. The Patriots certainly had something to do with it. Uh, you know, I'm not going to, you know, say they were bad or anything like that, but – that game should have been a blowout. If, if Josh Allen played a B game for him, that game is over at halftime. It should have been over at halftime. So, no, I don't look anything more into what the Patriots defense, quote-unquote, did against Josh Allen and the Bills on Sunday. All right, Greg's got a uh, rapid-fire edition of 3-up, three 3-down. Three but first, don't forget, check him out at BSJ, 50 bucks for the year. Bedard, Giardi, everybody else that works there, uh, swing on by, 50 bucks for the year. Also... Uh, don't forget that this episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. New customers receive 150 bucks in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. All right, Greg, three up, three down. Uh, Anthony Jennings, uh, after an off week last week, he was outstanding again on the edge. He was a pain in the ass. He was great in the running game. This dude is making himself a lot of money yeah, with the film is. that he's putting on. Christian Barmore. Didn't have three sacks this week. Wasn't dominating. He's getting double teamed a lot more. This was the first week where you really saw it. But he was still really good, especially in the run game, which has just been amazing to see his transformation there. Shout out to Demarcus Covington, the Patriots defensive line coach, who I think has just continues to do an outstanding job year after year. I know we're critical of the coaching staff a lot of times, but I want to make sure the guys who are doing a good job get their flowers. And David Andrews, I thought, again, 
was outstanding, had some great run blocks. I know the running game wasn't great in this game. Um, he also had to play next to Antonio Maffi, uh, who we'll get to. Um, so he's sort of handicapped in that regard. But I think David Andrews is just uh, has continued to do a great job. Keon White and City Cell also had good games for the Patriots. Yeah, Keon White's popping. How about you down? Uh, Antonio Maffi. Um Let's just play Jake Andrews in the last week. Give him a shot. See what it, see see what the Patriots have in him. It's just look, Mafi's trying. Uh, he certainly I, I like some of his skills, but he's just a developmental player at this point. Former defensive tackle in in, in college. Um, it's just too early for him, and you know it's time to give somebody else a shot. Uh, Bailey Zappi was my second down. He's Mister Half Bad, Half Good. Pick which half. You know, it's just going to happen. That's just the player um, he is at this point. And uh, Jawan Bentley for the second week in a row. I, I, you know, look, I, I have a great deal of respect, um, you know, for for Bentley. Um, he's just really limited in, in coverage. Um, he should have gotten picked on even more in this game, him and Tavai. Um, but certainly Bentley, he looks tired to me. Dude's been a warrior for multiple years, played a ton of snaps. It would be natural for his his legs to give way a little bit, and that's what it looks like these past couple weeks. All right, he's Greg. I'm Nick. We've got one more game to take a look at before this season is over. And then, of course, we'll just have a ton of off-season shit to discuss. But until next time, it's the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cappen.